So Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Kevin, why don't you come on up? I'll pray for you, uh, and y'all pray with me for Kevin. Father, thank you so much for your words to us this morning. Uh, It's your spirit that uses these books and these chapters and these verses uh, to do your work in us. Got to reveal yourself to us today. Um, Lord, this morning, would you purify our hearts uh, as individuals and as a church family as well? We want to see you. We want to see you working in our homes, our church, in our city. God, draw us into deeper discipleship to you. Make us learners after Jesus. God, this morning I want to lift up Kevin to you. Would you have already been working in his preparation and his writing and his study this past week? Uh, And would you be working today in the words that he has for us? Um, God, let us hear it, obey it, uh, and look more like Jesus than we have before because of the words that we hear today. God, make the word of his mouth and the meditations of his heart uh, acceptable in your sight. We thank you for everything. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, one, one thing that um, I don't think you mentioned, um, this afternoon, um, David and Heidi Reese are going to be sharing down in the, the chapel. Um, they're, they're raising funds to go serve in Uganda, and um, they're going to share a little bit later here in the gathering, but um, they'll be here this afternoon, I believe at 4 o'clock, um, if you'd like to come hear more about um, the mission that God's calling them to. Well, I know it's important to pray, but I don't pray as much as I should. Uh, would you say that's, that's true of you? I think if I ask for a show of hands, I'm guessing that most of us would kind of sheepishly, I see a hand up there, thanks Nick, sheepishly raise our hands there. Um, would you agree with that? I know it's important to pray, but I don't pray as much as I should. True or false, I'd say most of us would probably acknowledge that it's true of our lives. A recent Gallup poll found that less than 49% of Americans pray every day, and a Pew Research Center poll from not too long ago said that 68% of Christians do. So I'd say you'd probably agree that that two-thirds of Christians praying daily isn't exactly great, but but of those two-thirds, what kind of prayers are we even talking about? Are we talking about rich times of communion with God, or maybe just some quick grunts thrown up in the sky. I'd say most of us, most Christians in America would say that our prayer lives are, are fairly weak. That's going to be my starting point today after we look at this passage in Matthew. If you disagree, I guess you can leave and, and go start praying. Um, but I think it's true of us, and I think it was more than likely true of Christ's hearers of this Sermon on the Mount, for otherwise, why would he have said what he said in today's passage? We don't pray as we should, and I want us to think today about why. Last week, I I assigned Aaron an easy passage, right? Um, Just kidding. You'll have to go back and listen to it if you missed it. But he talked about this. As we go about sharing the message of Jesus, folks will squeal, people will bite. 
And we have to know, as they say, at least as they say in small town Missouri, um, when to cut bait, so to speak, before we end up pulling out a shark and it eats us alive. That's the point I think that Aaron showed us from verse 6. But I think there's this, this more basic point that we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Um, think about going back to chapter 6, where we see that, that following Jesus will lead us into a place of risk where we might find ourselves even wondering if our needs will be met. If we go back to chapter 5, you know, we see loving your enemies, keeping your cool around people who hurt you, telling the truth, sticking with your spouse, being faithful to him or her, not giving yourself over to anger. All easy things to do, right? No, not at all. Following Jesus as our king, working to spread his kingdom, it's all so hard. So maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something like, we need some serious help. Well, this morning I want to give you four reasons, and we could come up with more, but four reasons why I don't think that we pray like we should, and I want you to see how Jesus addresses each of those through the words that we see here in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. So I'll jump right in. Here's the first reason why I don't think we tend to pray like we should. It's this, we don't see that it makes a difference. We don't see that it makes a difference. So what's even the point we can tend to think? Because the Lord already knows what we need before we even ask. Didn't we see that back in chapter 6, verse 8? So why even bother to even ask at all? Well, right after that verse, of course, Jesus introduces the Lord's prayer, at least that's what we call it, and he tells us to pray to our Father in heaven. So he surely isn't saying that not to bother. He's ruling out mindless, repetitious prayers, manipulative mantras that the Gentiles would pray. Stop doing that, Jesus says. There's no need. He says, though, at the beginning of that, when you pray, he assumes that we will, but he's saying, don't pray like pagans pray. Well, then, what might be the point? Um, Again, If we go back to our first verse for today, Christ says this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. You might say, if he knows our needs and he knows our, and he's our father, then why all this work? And we can end up acting like a punk kid who wants his mom to give him the toy already and leave him alone so that he can get on with playing with it. But that parent wants far more than that than to just hand the gift over, right? And surely does our God and Father. We, we see this progression here in these words. Ask, seek, knock. You're in the room with mom and dad, you just ask. If they're not, you get up, you seek. If you find they're behind a closed door, you knock. That, that progression implies effort. It pictures perseverance, even an urgency, as we pursue the Lord with our prayers. But why all this work? Why does God seem to be playing hard to get with us? Why this game at all? Maybe we would lose heart if God would just answer us already. Well, maybe he wants to build something with us and even change something about us through all this asking and seeking and knocking. Maybe the Lord doesn't just want to be Santa Claus who gets to hold us once a year and then we respond by freaking out. Maybe he actually wants a relationship with us. Not just to give us stuff when we demand it, again, like St. Nick. 
Have you thought about that? It might not be that he's trying to avoid us at all. Maybe he's actually wanting us to know him, right? And that comes about through all these prayers. I love the way Old Testament scholar Alec Motyer puts it about the Lord. He says, he, he loves us to talk to him. He says, I want you to tell me, please open your heart to me. Let me know how you feel. Let me know where you hurt. Let me know what you want. What do you want me to do for you? Wow, could that be true? I love how David Paulison once described prayer. Prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life and your God meet. Really? He wants to know us? He wants to know us that much? Wow. Now also, maybe the prayers aren't so much about us trying to change God, but maybe they have more to do with him changing us. My wife's an amazing nurse at University Hospital, and it seems to me to be a good one. Not that I know a lot, but it seems to be. Um, But they have this marketing slogan that maybe you've heard um, that frankly makes me kind of cringe. They call it a culture of yes, a culture of yes. Now, I get being helpful and trying to serve, being kind, trying to meet needs. Yeah, that's what hospitals should do, but that kind of culture can also lead to some problems, right? No, you can't have more Oxycontin just to take for the road. You can. No, you can't have eight family members in your room during a global pandemic. You can't. You know, you take spoiled 2023 American patients, you point them to a sign with that slogan, and what comes out cannot be very pretty at all. And, you know, the goal of the hospital isn't just to give people stuff they want, right? It's to help people get better. Hello? And maybe that's the Lord's point also. He wants to make us different, right? He wants to change us through this relationship, through these prayers. E.S. Jones once gave this illustration. You're in a boat. You know, you want to go to shore. You throw out your rope. Do you do that to pull the shore to you or maybe you to the shore? Tim Keller writes this. He says, the basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will to his. Or as Paul Miller puts it, and you should read his book, The Praying Life, God wants to do something bigger than simply answer my prayers. The act of praying draws God into my life and begins to change me, the prayer, in subtle ways. We, we like to ask again, what's the point? Maybe the point is something different, something greater, even something better than we could ever imagine to draw us into a relationship, to shape us into something beautiful. But that, again, doesn't mean that God doesn't want to answer our prayers just to prove some kind of point. The next verse says the exact opposite of that. So let's go there with it. Think about a second reason why we might not pray. We don't believe he hears and helps. We can't see how prayer ever even works, so we doubt, we don't try, we just give up. Now, for some of us, we might think that God just can't do anything with our requests, that God might be good. We might agree with that, but he's really not great, meaning he's not strong enough to really make things happen. Perhaps he's deaf, maybe he's weak, maybe he won't hear and he won't help. Therefore, we don't think prayer works, or we at least act like it doesn't. God's ears are plugged, or his hands are tied, and so there's no help with him at all. 
But check what Jesus says here in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So Christ Jesus is the exact opposite of that. The asker, the seeker, the knocker will end up finding what he or she is after. So with the command we see in verse 7, we also find the promise right here. The Lord does hear. He can help. He will help. He promises that to us. So what does that mean? Well, we should go to him with our stuff. We should pour out our hearts to him. And as we do that, we should actually expect him to answer and work. Now, I don't think that means that we're asking God for a Tesla, right? So we can be hashtag blessed. In our context here, we're asking him for his help in living out what we've seen here in the Sermon on the Mount. For spiritual help as we wrestle with our sin, as we fight through the sufferings of life, we cry out to him. But I don't think this doesn't include physical help. Because otherwise, what's going on again back in chapter 6 where Jesus says, hey, look at the sparrows, look at the lilies, trust your Father to provide. He wants us to ask him to meet those needs too. After all, we pray, give us our daily bread. Now with what Aaron said last week, yeah, sometimes God might give us CC's broiler steaks, medium rare, if that's what he wants. Or for Amy, of course, the CC's pizza. But I do think that's what he's not promising here, us here, though. This is where, of course, the theologian in the room, the extra super reformed guy, you know, me, steps forward and speaks up and says, now let's be cautious here, guys, lest we start sounding charismatic or something. You know, every prayer has to end with, thy will be done, lest anyone have any fun. And we end up taking these prayers that Jesus prayed in the garden and we tack them on the end to every prayer and we end up pouring out our hearts and then we end up mopping them back up again because we don't want to come across as presumptuous and we don't want to end up disappointed. Hear me, hear Jesus, these words are not qualified by him here at all. Not in any way. Jesus wants us to take all of it to him, to be raw, to be real, But here, of course, is why that dude isn't completely wrong. Not all of our prayers get, they they don't end up all getting answered, first of all, right? So many things we ask for are clearly not a part of God's will. But second, wouldn't it be the case that the more and more we get close to our Father, the more and more he transforms our hearts, that we'd end up finding ourselves more in tune with his will? Yeah, yeah. And 1 John 5.14 says that's critical to having our prayers answered. And with that, the more we get to know him, the more we grow, um, isn't that what we want? That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Yes. But what about our prayers that, that go unanswered? Yes, most basically. Theologically, it's because they're not a part of God's sovereign will. But think of it from our perspective on earth. Sometimes the answer that we get is no. And we have to trust it's best for us, even for the universe, for God's glory. Other time our answer is not yet. But there could be another answer that is speaking through that silence. It could be that he's got something for us that's better. And with that, I want to turn to my next point. But before I get there, if you're ever bored, if you're ever sad, if you could use a good laugh... 
um, log into Facebook and type these words in the, the search bar, Amy Larson Cupcake Wars. So back about 10 years ago, on a cold, snowy day, um, we were stuck in the house. My wife was trying to keep us all sane, so she decided to, to have the kids do some baking and turn me into some kind of judge. And she had the kids um, bake these cupcakes, but they had some surprises in them, and they were not good surprises at all. If you know me, I have a really weak stomach. Now, I cannot go out and clean up after the dog, or a few minutes later, Amy's going to be out there cleaning up after the dog and after me. So I didn't do well tasting cupcakes that were laced with pickles or topped with ketchup. So I spend the whole video gagging, and my kids, who are so young and cute at the time, are cracking up, and I'm just completely miserable. That's so often how we think we're supposed to live as Christians, with God always wanting to give us our medicine, or God wanting to give us foods that make us sick. But that couldn't be further from the truth, and that's what Jesus wants us to grasp here. Maybe it's that we know God's great. I think this is our problem probably here. We know God's great, but the problem is, is that we doubt that he's good. We question if he even cares he may hear, but he may choose to ignore. A third reason why we so seldom pray, we don't believe he cares and gives. We don't believe he cares and gives. Christ wants us to hear that God's our Father, right? Again, don't skip over how big of a deal that was. That did not come naturally to Jews back then. These were folks, again, who were afraid to even say God's name out loud. And it doesn't come easy to us either, especially if we've had a hard relationship with our dads, didn't have fathers at all. But Christ means this to be for our comfort. That's because the Lord is a father that's good, and he wants to give us good stuff. In James 1, Christ half-brother is saying evil, first of all, never comes from God, and in fact, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And that's what our Lord is saying essentially again in Matthew 7. I want you to hear verses 9 through 11 again. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The logic, again, not hard to understand. Dads, moms, if you're a kid, your son, your daughter asks for food, you're not gonna give him or her something else. Not something inedible like a rock, no. Certainly nothing dangerous like a snake, of course not. If they ask for a meal, you're not going to give them Taco Bell for crying out loud. You're a good mom, you're a good dad. But actually, you're not. It says there, Jesus says, you're evil. You're evil. Isn't that what Jesus says there? No, evil. No, don't mishear that. He's not saying that you're as, as wicked as you possibly could be, he's just saying that you're a sinner. All of us here are. And somehow, if we're parents, we still manage to give our kids good gifts. We're not perfect, but we love them, and we try to show that through our deeds. Here Jesus is making an argument from lesser to greater. So if you, this fallen human father, will give your child good gifts, how much more will the father, the perfect divine one, give us things that are good 
if we ask for them. I mentioned earlier, but one of the best books I think out there on prayer that we used as a one read at one point is called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And in that book, he lays out this tension that we Christians have to live in, in our day, living in America, and something that we have to fight to break out of. And he says that we're so easily cynical in America today. We, we don't end up bothering with prayer because we don't think God's going to hear or God's going to help. We don't think he cares that he even desires to give. He can't or he won't. And we end up living like there's no God or if he exists, he's not a father or definitely not a good one. We end up living like orphans who have to scrounge around for ourselves or maybe we're just those who just won't get nice things at all. We'll just have to eat rocks or slurp down serpents so we can show others that all we need is him. And we end up living cynical lives and not praying much at all. Miller says we have to rediscover a childlike spirit. A childlike spirit where we come messy to our dad, where we bring the real you and me to him in prayer, and we believe these promises that Jesus says here, that we actually trust that he wants to hear us and he wants to give us good gifts. Will we have cynical hearts? Or childlike spirits? Will we believe Christ's words here in Matthew 7? Pastor John Anwichekwa says we have to fight for two things. Confidence in God's ability, contentment in his activity. Confidence in God's ability, contentment in his activity. In other words, that he is both great and he's good. Of course, though, the reality is that we often look and and think that there's coal in our stocking. What's in our grip, it sure looks like a stone. We look around at what seems like a pit of vipers, and what are we to do with that other than let ourselves get bitter? Well, we're to rest in the sovereignty of God. We choose to believe that his will is better and that he loves to give us what's best. It's not just that God says no or even not yet. He might be saying yes and giving us something great, something better than we could ever imagine, but it's not just time or we're not quite ready. Yeah, we have to say the answer might wait until he brings us into that new world he's preparing, but it also could, it often does come in this one right here. It often does but it's so hard to wait, right? To keep on asking, but we have to keep trusting that it's worth it. Look with me also at Romans chapter eight. Now, I love this chapter. Um, Not only do we have verse 28 that tells us he's working all things for good, really my favorite verse, a treasure that is, but we also have verse 32, how we can believe it's true. It reads, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us, with him, graciously give us all things? Here, Jesus is moving from greater to lesser through Paul. Greater, lesser. So he gave the biggest thing, the greatest thing of all, his son. How will he not also, with that, give us these other small things, the the little things, the, the seemingly insignificant things? As I think about this with my life, what if I married one of the women that I begged God to let me keep? 
I wouldn't have these kids. I wouldn't have Amy. I wouldn't be standing right here. I'm convinced of that. It wasn't as I was praying then that God wasn't great, that he couldn't hear, he couldn't help. It wasn't that he wasn't good, that he, he couldn't care or give. It was that he was being awesome, perfect, working his plan, seeking my good. You see, he is wiser than you and me. He cares more about us than we even do ourselves. C.S. Lewis once put it in this way. When the event you prayed for occurs, your prayer has always contributed to it. When the opposite event occurs, your prayer has never been ignored. It has been considered and refused for your ultimate good and the good of the whole universe. Or as, as Tim Keller puts it a little more simply, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Isn't that a comfort, church? Don't we understand that even as we interact with our own children? And can't this move us to prayer like little children? Let's trust our Father who is powerful. Let's trust his heart even more. He is so good. He is so kind. I want to move on to the fourth and final reason why I think we don't tend to pray. And this is the most basic one, the most tragic one. I think it just undergirds and explains this whole passage. It's this, we don't see that we have a need. We're doing fine. Therefore, we're not compelled to pray. This is why we don't ask and seek and, and knock. It's why we don't ask him for good things, because we're good all on our own. Maybe this isn't a conscious thing, a rebellious thing, a defiant thing, but it's in reality how we so often live, but it's definitely a blasphemous thing. Again, like we're atheists, like we're orphans. Not Now, um, there's this way that we can get away with this, sometimes even the course, over the course of our lives, but one day at the judgment day at least, we'll face up to the lie. But one thing we can't do, we can't see what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5 through 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, we can't see that and try to live it out in our own strength. We can't. We're going to fail. Life is hard. We know that. Living this life especially is hard. And to even get started, to even take a step, we need his grace. What would have to change to make us Pray as we should. Think back to the beginning of the sermon to the Beatitudes, how it started. We need to see fundamentally that we're poor in spirit, right? That we are the people who should mourn for our sins. That we should be the meek, the hungry, the thirsty for God in his ways. What would have to change for us to pray like we should? We'd have to see our need for him. Every minute of every day, dependent upon him, insufficient in and of ourselves. Prayers are the calls of the needy heart, as Ed Welch puts it. The calls of the needy heart. Is that us, or are we walking around proud? I like the way Jackie Hill Perry has put it. She writes, prayerlessness is almost always a humility issue. We'd like to believe that we don't pray because of busyness or that we just lack discipline and need to do better. At the end of the day, though, we're a proud bunch. Pride deludes us into thinking we're self-sufficient, that our jobs supply our needs, our relationships provide comfort, our intellect and ambition made us successful, but in fact, everything you are and everything you have is because God reigns on the just and unjust. So then, 
To become more prayerful, we have to be honest, literally embracing the reality that we are perpetually needy even when it doesn't feel like it. Bruce Miller puts it so well once again. If you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Or do we comprehend our deep need? If we did, we would be praying and we would be praying all the time. A main way that God works is in response to prayer. That's his will. He is the giver. He does it that way, so he and not us receives the glory. Think back with me to where we've been. If we understood the point of prayer we'd pray persistently. If we comprehended the power of prayer, we'd pray expectantly. If we grasped the person who listens to prayer, we'd pray audaciously. If we admitted our poverty without prayer, we'd pray desperately. Carlos, what's the main answer, the deepest answer, though, to helping us get back into prayer? It's grace. It's charis. We need him every day, every hour, every minute, every second. We have to believe that. Will we hear that through Christ's words here? Well, I like to tell this story. Um, this, this morning, you know, we're gathered in this epic auditorium. It's, it's really one of the most beautiful ones that I've seen. But do you know how we got here? So back, I believe, in 2011, we were meeting in the Tiger Hotel downtown, some good memories for sure. Um, things seemed to be going well, and then the, the management asked to have a meeting. And you know, I had been doing it enough by then to know what the meeting was probably about, but a new owner had purchased the hotel, and he just had zero interest in having a church meet there at all. So I was pretty distraught. This was actually the second time that they were trying to kick us out. I didn't understand what God was doing. I didn't know what he had in mind. I was nervous, I was angry, but sometime later I spoke to a pastor friend who was serving as the interim leader for a church that worshiped right here. It was Calvary Baptist at the time. They were declining, they didn't need all the space, and he proposed that they share the space with us, and so we began this dialogue between our church and theirs that ended up with us meeting here on Sunday mornings. So they'd have their service, we'd come in and have ours. It took them a while to kind of get in and out, so we, we put on our website that we, would, we met at 11-ish even, which was kind of funny, thinking back. But to be really honest, and I didn't go around saying this, but it felt a little bit more like a stone, like a big lump of coal for me at the time. Because our vision had always been to have a space downtown, and with them here and us here, it honestly felt really weird to me. It felt like we were having church in my mom's living room. And I think guests were kind of weirded out as well. Was this the second service of Calvary Baptist? Was this like their, their special kid service or something? It was weird. And I, I tend to wear my emotions on a sleeve, and I think some of the Calvary people could even see that. But it was just, it was hard, it was awkward, and it was just ended up being a really hard place for us to grow. But here we are, 10 years later, this is our space now, and we got it for free, and God heard our prayers. A great God, a good Father met our needs, and again, better than we, better than I could have ever imagined. But anyway, to get more basic here, before I, I close, here's something you may be thinking that you might be asking in your head. 
I am evil. I'm not a good person. I've messed up too much my whole life, this week. Why would God trust me with nice things? I want you to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that he died for our sins so we could be forgiven. He gives us his good deeds, and God sees us in Christ as perfect. God's no longer just a judge to us. He's even not just a dad. He's our dad, if we believe, and our sins actually fill him with compassion and make him want to run to us more. So family, let's destroy these doubts. Let's battle through these barriers. Let's receive and rejoice in these words of Christ. And let's start by asking him to make us a people of prayer and then stand back and watch him work. Let's pray persistently, growing closer to him and more like him. Let's pray expectantly, trusting that he's big and he'll help. Let's pray audaciously. He's our dad. He loves to shower us with good gifts. Let's pray desperately, knowing that everything comes by grace and by grace alone. I want to leave you with two questions to ponder as I wrap up today. And the first one is this. This is, yeah, there we go. As you hear Jesus' words here, what needs to be adjusted about how you see God and how you see yourself? As you hear Jesus' words here, what needs to be adjusted about how you see God and how you see yourself? Do you see him as great and good and ready to answer? Do you see, do you act like everything in your life, though, is all up to you? And number two, as you reflect on your life, how can you see God's hand and how can it impact your prayers moving into the future? How can you see God's hand? How can it impact your prayers moving into the future? So how have you seen him as you reflect him working for your good and how can that deepen your trust as you move forward? Carlos, let's go to our father with our needs for he he hears and he cares and he loves to provide. Let's pray. God, um, give us hearts that see and hear the glory of the promises here. Um, Would you make us people who pray? Would you revive us? Um, Revive us, um, renew us in the gospel so we can just realize the the, the grace, the gracious place in which we stand and um, that would just move us to ask, to seek, to knock, and to see you work. Lord, forgive us for um, our prayerlessness. Forgive us for acting like um, we're alone. And transform our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.